Mark chapter seven, beginning at verse 32. It says, and they brought to Jesus a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment, and they begged him to lay his hand on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears and after spitting, touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephata, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. They brought him to Jesus. They brought someone, they brought something to Jesus. They brought a need to Jesus. This morning, we have brought a promise to him. We said, we are going to do this, but wrapped up in that promise of what we're going to do for him is actually what he has promised to do for us. Because he promised to make us able to pour into every good work. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 7, it says, each person must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound to every good work. You may abound to every good work. So there is a promise that you have made, and now there's a promise that God makes you, that he will cause you to have abundance to fulfill the promise that you said you would fulfill. That now all of a sudden, you haven't just said, I'm gonna do this, but you've entered into a partnership with God where God says, we are going to do this. You said yes, you entered into his yes. And when we step into his yes, he makes all grace abound toward us. It's not just a single grace, it's all grace. I was having a conversation with um, a guy that had come to the, the church um, years ago, actually. And he was at one of these, oh man, I'm gonna be rude for a minute, okay. He's at one of these TV preacher schools. And um, so he was, you know, having a conversation about the things that he was learning at TV preacher school. And it was just one of these kind of bizarre conversations. He's like, all about the love of God. He was really pushing back on the idea of holiness or walking uprightly or that faith without works is dead. And it was like, you know, God just loves us. He just does these things for us because he loves us. And I said, okay, so he's going to bless you just because he loves you, not because you give? Oh, well, that's, that's um, that, I'm, I'm still in my first year. I said, and trust me, it'll be just as broken of a theology your third year as it is the first year. We didn't get along very well after that. But here is why I say that. Because he makes all grace abound to you. Before you said yes to Jesus... The love of God that you could understand is that God so loved you that he gave you his only son. Before you said yes to Jesus, God gave you Jesus. That is the only love of God that you will experience without saying yes to Jesus. You don't get the Holy Spirit until you say yes to Jesus. I know that's a fun thing to say. But if we could receive the Holy Spirit without Jesus, then we don't need Jesus to spend eternity with him. 
So the love that we experience, the first grace, is that grace of salvation. But we have to have faith in Jesus before we enjoy the next grace, the Spirit of God coming and dwelling inside of us. And with each additional grace, there is a call to us to respond to His call. There is a call to us to respond to His invitation. And when we respond to that invitation, when we do the next thing, when we step into the next transformation, then from glory to glory, we are being changed. What is that change? It is the acceptance of the next grace that God has for us. There is a grace that you just stepped into this morning when you dropped your card in a box because you said yes to Jesus. You moved forward and now he has another grace that you didn't experience yesterday. He has an ex a grace for you today that you will walk in tomorrow that you will walk in the rest of this day. See, when you make a promise, now you should be looking for God to open up opportunity for you to fulfill that which you said you were going to do. He makes all grace abound to you because you didn't just bring a promise. What you brought was your faith. Your faith came and walked up here this morning. See, I, I, when every time, any time I study one of these miracles from Jesus, you always get into kind of the academics or even some of the blog posts on this. And, and for whatever reason in 2023, we, or maybe it's always been that way, but it's my experience. There are always people looking to take away the miracle. They're always looking to say, oh, it was just what was the bigger deal was that God saw him in his affliction. I actually don't think that's the bigger deal at all. I think the man who was deaf and could not speak properly, I guarantee you he was far more excited that Jesus said, be opened. We, we try to put this in kind of cute language and we try and clean everything up. Could we just admit and, and embrace what just happened? Like Jesus in this text he spit and he touched a man's tongue. Don't try and clean that up. That's what he did. He took his fingers and he stuck them in the man's ear. Don't try and clean that up. Because when we eliminate the works, we eliminate the miracle. When we take away the thing that God is showing us to do, when we take away the behaviors that God is expecting of us, we get rid of the miracle. And so I don't want us to be embarrassed for us to live our faith in front of people. I don't want us to be embarrassed to walk out what God is calling us to walk out because I'm pretty sure in this text, it actually mattered that Jesus stuck his fingers in the man's ear. I think it mattered that he spit and he touched his tongue. Um, I was reading an interview by one of these sort of Hollywood elites that was playing the role of Jesus in a movie a few years ago. And he got to a moment in the story like this where Jesus spit and he made mud and he put it on a blind man's eyes. And the actor said, when I got to that line, I said, I'm not doing that. That's stupid. Can't see anybody doing that. And he just sort of rewrote the script in the middle and they just went with it. I don't want to live my Christian life like a Hollywood elite. I don't, I don't want to live my Christian life like I always want to clean it up. Could we just live the gospel? Could, could, could we just embrace 
the ridiculousness of this text so that we can live in the miracle? There, there was a miracle in that text. A man that could not hear could hear. A man that spoke with an impediment suddenly didn't speak with that anymore. He spoke plainly. Why? Because the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords showed up in the middle of his situation. And so I believe that in the middle of your situation, Jesus will show up when we show up with our faith. Hebrews eleven six. 6. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he's a rewarder of those who seek him. It's not just about being noticed by God. It's not just about being seen by God. It's about God Almighty literally rewarding me because I believe he exists and I believe he'll do what he said he would do. There has to be in us this belief, this unshakable belief that God will do it. Yes, he will. I don't know what miracle you need in your life, but what I know is he can do it. Do you believe he will? Like we can, we can stop short and say, well, yeah, God can. But do we believe that he will? Without faith, it is impossible to please him. And so we see in this moment where they brought the need of a miracle, they brought him to Jesus. This morning, you brought a commitment. You brought a potential miracle and you put it in a box. Now let's shift perspective. I want to go from what they did and I want to talk about what Jesus did. Beyond the fingers in his ear, beyond the spitting and touching his tongue, what else did Jesus do? See, we do the first thing in a miracle and sometimes we stop. But he did something else. He didn't just do that. There were three other things that Jesus did. And these are principles that we can look in our life and say, okay, there, there is a miracle that must be worked. One of the things I find interesting about a list of nine certain gifts of the Holy Spirit is one of them is the working of miracles. It didn't just say miracles. It said the working of miracles. There is a miracle in your house to be worked. It's to be worked. And what else do we see Jesus doing here in this moment? Uh, the first thing that we see him do is look to heaven. Could we never stop looking to heaven? Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith. Faith may have begun when Jesus gave you a number to put on a card. But that's just the beginning. It's the miracle for you hasn't happened yet. 
And so you have to look to him continuously in the same way that over the last few weeks you were looking to him for instruction or you were looking to him for guidance or you were looking to him to just give you peace about a number that you put on your card. Like you've been looking to Jesus and I just want to encourage you to keep looking to Jesus. What can happen sometimes in our lives is we can look to Jesus and we can get started and all of a sudden the blessing of the Lord starts to come upon us and we no longer look to Jesus as if we're the ones who gave ourselves the power to gain this wealth. This is what Moses said to the children of Israel before they went into the promised land. He said, don't you prophetically, he said this, don't you step into the goodness of God and then all of a sudden start saying your power or your ability gave you the capacity to obtain this wealth. When we have goodness, we have to make sure that goodness, we give him all the glory that it came from him. Constantly looking to Jesus He said, you're going to have to run with endurance the race that is set before you. Who put the race in front of them? God did. God all by himself put a call to your life in front of you. And he says, just follow me. We're going to do this together. Jesus did that. But now what do you have to do? Now you have to run with endurance. Jesus isn't running for you. I just want to let you know, did anybody ever have when you had, who had kids? Who has kids out there? Okay, when you had kids, did you ever have a stroller you put your kids in? Did that stroller roll itself? Who rolled the stroller? You did. Jesus isn't going to put you in a stroller and roll you. He's called you to run with endurance the race that is set before you. The fact that you have to run with endurance is calling you to a lifestyle of patience. It's calling you to a lifestyle of steadfastness. What that means is it's not always gonna be easy tomorrow as it may have been today. There will be headwinds. There will be obstructions. So you have to run with endurance. And in order to run with endurance, you have to lay aside every weight that so easily holds you back. See, we sort of should read this in reverse. Because you can't run in a direction the race that he set before you if you aren't looking to him. And you half the time don't even know the weights or the sins that are clinging closely until you start trying to run. Here's what I've noticed about my life. As I begin to run, I notice what's holding me back. But I didn't know it until I started running. You can sit in a car with flat tires and you have no idea. But as soon as you push drive and you start rolling that car and there's a flat tire, now you know something needs to be fixed. If you don't feel like something needs to be fixed, you're probably not running. Because in every single layer of our following God, in every single grace upon grace upon grace, there is something else. He said, lay aside every weight and sin. It's not just sin that holds us back. Sometimes we have hobbies, good hobbies. We just put too much time into them and they're holding us back. So we have to let go of that hobby, the time commitment in that hobby in order to run with endurance. Why? Because it's holding us back. It's not a sin, it's just a weight. So when I'm looking to him and he's getting a little further in front of me, now I have to run faster. As I try to run faster, I recognize the weights. So now I start putting the weights or the sin aside that is clinging closely so that I can run with endurance because I'm looking to him. So this instruction is almost, it's almost in reverse. And James said something beautiful. He said, count it all joy. Like, I don't know how you feel, but when something comes in front of me that's slowing me down, I don't count it all joy. It actually annoys me 
Sometimes I even blame God and say, why are you even letting this happen? Why is this even going on in my life? Like, it should be easy. I'm doing what you told me to do. And I've noticed in all those situations, I don't think he's ever said anything back. I... I, I don't know if because it's the instruction is already there. I don't know if it's because my expectation is so immature. I have no idea. What I do know is when I get past myself and I just start looking to him, it becomes easier. Not that the obstruction immediately goes away. It's just that I'm no longer frustrated by it and it becomes easier. Not because of anything around me, but because I'm looking to him. When you look to him, he leads you besides still waters. When you are looking to him, he makes you lie down in green pastures. He does, God does. And so Jesus said at the very beginning, before all the rest of the things, he looked to heaven. He, Jesus, looked up. Psalm 121.1 says, I will lift up my eyes from where my help comes. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. That means I'm not looking to society. I'm not looking to governance. I'm not even looking to myself. I'm not looking to my degree. I'm not looking to how smart I think I am or how smart I'm not. I'm not looking to any of those things. What am I doing? My, I'm looking up because that's where my help comes from. It's just a good lifestyle, whether life is good or life is not good to look up. Why? Because it always puts your affection on him. See, we're told in both the Old and the New Testament that God resists the proud. He resists the proud. But he gives more grace to the humble. Who is someone who is humble? Someone who's looking to Jesus. Someone who's glorifying Jesus. See, when I'm looking to Jesus and something good happens, what do I do? I give him glory. When something bad happens and I'm looking to Jesus, what do I do? Jesus, we have a problem. I'm always looking to him. Now, I say that like I am always looking to him. What I really mean to say is I should always be looking to him. Because there are times that something great happens and I'm like, I'm a pretty good parent. <laughs> something good happens. Pretty, pretty good leader. Somebody says, that's a great sermon. Pretty good preacher. I've said it before, I'll say it again, cover your little kid's ears. I am a preacher, that means I am simply a jackass upon whom Jesus rides into church on Sunday. That's all it means. That's a gospel text, by the way. So we are always, we are always looking to heaven. And then, then it said that Jesus sighed, S-I-G-H-E-D, he sighed. And sometimes when we're reading, we just kind of blow past things and like, does that even matter? Oh, it matters. It matters because we see that word actually in the gospel a few times. Um, we see it here. We see its synonym when Lazarus was buried four days in a tomb, it said that when Jesus approached the tomb, he groaned within himself, he sighed. Here, there's the opportunity for a miracle. He looks to heaven and then he sighed. And then we see all this explanation in Romans 8 about sighing. 
Or the way that they translate the exact same word in Romans 8, they translate as groaning. We begin with creation groaning. Creation is groaning, sighing toward the coming of the Lord. Um, what that means is when Adam sinned and sin, sin fell on the earth, it did something to the earth. All of a sudden, it said that the earth produced thorns and thistles. These weren't things that were going on in the process of the earth before. In other words, the earth was alive. Now the earth was dying. It was groaning toward the coming of the Lord from the moment sin came forward. Somebody gets, people get all bent out of shape all the time, like the Lord is judging Florida during every hurricane season. That's just so ridiculous. It's ridiculous. He's always judging the Midwest during tornado season. He's always judging Florida during hurricane season. It's just the earth groaning. The, the earth is just, it's, it's frustrated with the means to which it lives in right now. And it is simply groaning towards the coming of the Lord. Let me just say something. I believe in godly judgment. God will judge. But when God judges everyone, it's because everybody's guilty. God isn't judging Christians for the guilt of the sinner right now. So God's not tearing up Christian stuff with hurricanes and tornadoes. I know, I know. But it's just not happening. Are hurricanes happening? Yes. Are tornadoes happening? Yes. Are earthquakes happening? Yes. But God's not just judging California so it'll just fall off the earth one day. I mean, California will get judged one day, along with the rest of the earth, when Jesus comes back and he brings his judgment with him. Okay, so the earth is groaning, it's sighing. Then we also see where the body is groaning. You are actually created to live longer than you get to live. Um, but the earth, when sin came, now the body groans. What does that mean? It means we get old. That's what it means. We don't see as good as we saw. We um, aren't as fast as we used to be. We don't jump as high as we used to jump. We like peak out at, I don't know, 24, 25. And then from there, all of you, it's downhill. It's downhill. Why? Because the body groans toward the coming of the Lord. It wants Jesus to come back. It desires to be in the presence of Jesus. This mortality will put on immortality. There is a desire to be in the presence of God. And so when it goes through all this explanation, then in Romans 8, verse 26, it says, likewise, in other words, like all these things, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. That word groaning is the same word here when it said Jesus sighed. Here, it's groanings. Here, it's Jesus sighing. Jesus sighed for the benefit of the person who was deaf and could not speak. What is that an example of? That is an example of someone praying with groanings too deep for words when the person who was in great need couldn't pray. Could Lazarus pray when Lazarus was dead in a tomb? No. So the Spirit himself made intercession for Lazarus. How did he do it? Through Jesus, the Son of God. How did the Spirit intercede for the deaf man? Through Jesus, the Son of God. How will Jesus intercede for you? Two ways. Others 
praying for you by the Spirit and you praying for you by the Spirit. Because when you pray by the Spirit, it's not you praying anyhow, it's Him. So Jesus has given us this example and the apostles gave us this doctrine that we have an understanding that there is a prayer that is too deep for words. And when we step into that place of prayer that is too deep for words, then that is the Spirit of God interceding for us. Because it's not you praying. Even if it's your mouth, it's not you praying. It's Him. We see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 15. What am I to do, Paul says? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. The contrast was made between praying with your mind or words that you understand and praying with your spirit, words that you do not understand. That is the contrast. So when we pray by the spirit, we step into a place where the spirit of God is praying. See, when we prophesy, that's the spirit of God speaking. When we pray in tongues, that's the spirit of God praying. When we groan, that's the spirit of God sighing, making intercession for us. And we have to understand, I want you to understand that as you step forward from this moment, you are probably going to have to pray more than you've prayed before. Because as you step into more opportunity or the opportunity for more opportunity, you need to be ready for it. That means you need to be prayed up. Don't just pray when things are like coming at you quickly. You need to be so prayed up that when they come, you can discern, is this right? Is this wrong? Is this a yes? Is this a no? What? You don't always have time to stop and say, give me three weeks. You might not have three weeks. That deal might be on the table for two hours and you have a yes or you have a no. If you're prayed up, you'll know if it's a no. If you're prayed up, you'll know it's a yes. I can speak very um, experientially to this because there are many times in my life where opportunity will come and I'm not ready for it. I'm just not ready for it. I haven't prayed the amount that I should have prayed to be in a place to be ready for this opportunity. See, we're told in Romans that we are to prophesy, prophesy according to the measure of faith we have. I can't, I can't prophesy beyond my measure of faith. Like I've heard people say this all the time and maybe they don't mean it manipulative, but it sort of comes across that way. They'll encourage people to give more and more and more and say you can't outgive God. It's true, you can't outgive God, but you can outgive your faith. Meaning you can make a promise and go beyond your capacity to fulfill that. If we do that, we have to get on our knees. We have to get into the gospel. We have to catch up and then we have to stay caught up. Like I, I want to make sure that my faith is at the level where I'm actually living because I don't want to get out there on my own. We can go further than our prayer life. And we have to back up get back into our prayer closet and catch up in that space. I'm telling you this, here's what I was nervous about. You know what I was nervous about? Is that you would actually do anything this morning. What I'm not nervous about is that God will do something for you once you did. I have no doubt in my mind that God has something amazing for you. Where I was nervous is that were you gonna actually partner with him? But now that you have I have full confidence that God who is able will make all grace abound to you. So I want you to be ready. 
In order for you to be ready for those opportunities, in order for you to be ready, there is a faith that has to elevate. There is a prayer life that has to elevate. When Jesus sighed in that moment, that came from a deep place within him that was already prepared for the moment. He was already there. All he had to do was just, he was already ready. Are we ready? If, if an opportunity came to you tomorrow morning, would you be ready to say yes? We need to be. We need to be prepared. Because here's the thing, if I'm looking to heaven, opportunity's coming. If I'm looking to heaven, blessing is coming. I would, I would like to say, I would like to hope that everybody's just gonna, along this journey, open up your mailbox and there's just gonna be cash in there. Like, that'd be cool. But to a shepherd named David, no one ever put any money in his mailbox. But there was a giant that needed to be killed in a valley. And when everybody else had the same opportunity, please hear me, they all had the same opportunity. Goliath was challenging the entire nation and everybody's just standing around. Mm, you first? No, you first. A man who God had been preparing in a field showed up ready to go. And he said, what is this? Uh, it's Goliath. He's going to kill us all. What are you talking about? We serve God Almighty. Like, no, no, we, we, can, we can do this. Calm down, young man. You don't know what you're talking about. There are people that will look at you and say, calm down. You don't know what you're talking about. Just step into the fullness of what God has for you and silence the haters. Just go ahead and do that. Just, just walk into what God has laid out for you and just watch him perform a miracle. Just step into it. Are you side up? Are you ready? Are you looking to heaven? Have, have you spent that time in prayer? And then the last thing he did, he just spoke life. Um, this is another thing that I get wrong all the time. Um, this has been a very, this entire series has been like walking around in my underwear. It's... Um, it's just, it's just very exposing. Um, so, so, like, I, I, can be, I can be funny cynical, um, but I can also be dark cynical, where, like, the whole world is falling apart. Um, and sometimes I get over in that space. And thankfully, I have an extremely um, faith-filled wife that just kind of pulls me out. And that is super helpful, yeah, for real. But sometimes not even she can pull me out of that place and I just have to go and just pray and pray and pray and pray until I just, until I have his thoughts, until I have his meditations. See, I don't, I don't know if you've noticed, I have plenty of word in me. I mean, it's just in there. I study a lot. I have a pretty good memory. I can, I can say it but I don't always say it. Why? Because sometimes my emotions get out of check. See, that's a prayer thing. It, there's plenty of you, you have the word in you. You just haven't spent time in prayer so that your heart is healthy, so that the word is what is being spoken. Um, but Jesus, when he went into that prayer place, he came out with a word. And there was a time where I was just, just miserable, really. And my wife, she's like, I think you need therapy. 
I said, I might need therapy. And I don't say that despairingly, like I probably did. Um, but I just remember night after night after night, just going to a place of prayer and just praying and praying and praying and praying. And finally in that place, I got to a, a height where I could hear God. Remember when Elijah was in the back of a cave? God didn't crawl in the cave with him. We have a lot of theology today that's just suggesting God's just crawling in caves, making a fire and sitting down with you. God stood at the face of the cave. He said, Elijah, what are you doing in there? Come out here. You get out of the hole and come out here and talk to me. And so I was in that place of prayer so I could get out of that hole. And when I got out of that hole, the word of the Lord came, a whisper. He said, the voice of famine has ceased. And I hear the sound of abundance of rain. Now, that was as much of a rebuke as it was a prophecy. What was he saying? The voice of famine has ceased. In other words, stop complaining. Get out of that. Stop it. Like if God's not correcting you, you're probably not very close to him. And I mean that because we're promised that whom the Lord loves, he corrects. So if I know God loves me, but I'm traveling so far away from him, I don't hear his correction. I think I'm awesome when I'm not awesome. But if I stay close, he keeps me close. And he keeps me close by correcting me when I'm wandering over here or I'm wandering over here. So the voice of famine, he's saying, has to cease. Why? Because I hear the sound of abundance of rain. I had to quit hearing my own complaining so that I could hear his sound. I couldn't hear him because all I heard was me. I, I was the voice of famine. He was the sound of abundance of rain. This is true for all of us. He is the sound of abundance of rain. And when Jesus came into that moment, he went into prayer and he came out with a word from heaven. God will give you a word for heaven, from heaven for your next season. For your next season, there will be a word from heaven and that word will sustain you and that word will direct you and that word will keep you. You need a word from heaven. You need to prophesy. That is the promise for the last days that the sons and the daughters will prophesy. I just want to go back to the front. If we're going to believe in miracles, then let's do the work of miracles. When we want to see a miracle, there better be a prophecy. For there to be a prophecy, there has to be time spent with God. For there to be time spent with God, I've got to spend my life in a way that I'm looking to heaven and I'm not looking to culture because otherwise I'm happy here. But if I look to him, it forces me to pray. And when I pray, I get a word and I prophesy. What was his prophecy? Be opened. Be opened. And what happened? His ears opened and he could speak plainly. God didn't just see you this morning though he saw you. He has a miracle for you. And that means you have to speak what he says. Jesus gave us this moment. Um, in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 30, um, he said, but if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive, but tomorrow is thrown into the oven. Will he not 
so much more clothe, I'm going to make this personal, me. Like this, this is your statement along the way. Will he not much more clothe you? We make these words personal to us. Will he not much more clothe me? Verse 31, therefore, I will not be anxious. That, that, some of you could just say that every morning and just stop right there. Therefore, I will not be anxious. If God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe me? Therefore, I will not be anxious. Saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? But then he goes on. <laughs> and I love the way he goes on. But, now make this personal, I will seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to me. Jesus, when he said all these things will be added to me, he's echoing the language of Malachi chapter three and verse 10, which was a promise attached to the giver. This was the promise that the Lord will literally open up the windows of heaven for you and pour out a blessing for you until you have no more need. So this is my statement. The Lord says that he will open up the windows of heaven for me and pour out for me a blessing until I have no more need. The Lord will open up the windows of heaven for me and pour out a blessing for me until until I have no more need. This is what I will say. Why? Because if he clothes the grass of the field, then he will clothe me. So I just keep seeking first the kingdom. I'm not going to be anxious about what is or what is not. I'm going to just keep seeking first the kingdom. I'm going to keep looking to Jesus. I'm going to keep spending my time in prayer. And I'm going to emerge every single time out of that with a word from heaven. And when I speak a word from heaven, what I'm speaking is life. Jesus said in John chapter 6 and verse 63, it is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you, they are spirit and life. Psalm chapter 19 and verse 14. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O oh God. It's not just the words of my mouth. It's the meditation of my heart. I don't want to just fake my heart by saying something that I don't believe. I want to spend that time in prayer where my heart believes it and from the inside comes a word. I don't want to just say something and always try and distract my heart. I want to spend time in the presence of God where my heart is healthy. I want the meditation of my heart to be acceptable to him so that the words of my mouth are acceptable. And then, and then we go on and you can say, this might be a good one. We said it a few weeks ago. Why don't we bring it back into the conversation? Philippians 4.19. And my God is able. My God is able. And he will supply every need that I have according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. It's not according to my riches. It's not according to my glory. It's according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. So when I spend time in the presence of Jesus, my heart aligns with his will for me. When my eyes continue to look up, I see him and he directs me forward. 
He will direct you. He will shelter you. He will bless you. For the Lord is good and his mercy endures forever. <laughs>